Hello and welcome to Watching China in Europe, a new podcast from the German Marshall Fund that explores Europe's relationship with China and transatlantic cooperation in responding to China. I'm your host, Noah Barkin, and today we're going to be talking about how German industry views China. We know that a number of big German companies, notably car makers like Volkswagen, BMW, Daimler, have become increasingly dependent on the Chinese market over the past decade. But at the same time, other German firms have been souring on China. And this led the BDI, the Federation of German Industries, to put out a policy paper two years ago that was critical of certain developments in the Chinese market and of how European governments were responding to China's growing economic clout. In recent months, we've seen the EU clinch a preliminary investment agreement with China, and we've seen just in the past weeks a very strong, some would say disproportionate reaction from Beijing to sanctions imposed by the EU in response to China's crackdown on its Muslim minority in Xinjiang. To talk through all of this, I'm very pleased to have Wolfgang Niedermach as my guest today. Wolfgang is a member of the executive board of the BDI, and he has extensive experience representing German business interests in Asia. Before joining the BDI last October, Wolfgang was head of the German Chamber of Commerce in Hong Kong. And before that, he worked for roughly a decade at the German chemicals giant BASF as director for Asia Pacific Affairs and as the head of the company's Berlin office. So there are very few people out there that are better placed to discuss the role of German industry in China. Thanks for joining me, Wolfgang. Thanks for having me, Noah. So first of all, I want to step back a bit and talk about how German industry views China. The picture that I just described is one in which a handful of big German companies, the car makers, Siemens, your for former employer, BASF, are heavily invested in China and because of that have a vested interest in ensuring that relations between Berlin and Beijing remain friendly. And then there is a group of smaller Mittelstand companies that have grown perhaps more skeptical about doing business in China uh, because of what they see as unfair competition in the Chinese market, etc. Um, would you say that this is an accurate picture of the situation from the German industry point of view, or is it more complicated than that? Um, it's definitely more complicated. Yes, of course, the usual uh, top five or top ten companies, and you have mentioned already some of them, they are always in the limelight if we talk about the German industry's view on China. But um, actually, the distinction between the big ones and the SMEs um, um, is not good enough to describe the situation because many of the SMEs have similar issues with China. Um, um, the, the distinction is along your 
yeah, what we would say dependence on the Chinese market, which is naturally uh, a big one, uh, seeing the most important industrial sectors in Germany, which is automotive and machinery, chemical industry. Here you find the usual suspects, but as well many SMEs companies who are in similar uh, situations, so that their share in their turnover with China, a global turnover, um, and then the China share is uh, up to 20 or even uh, more percent. And you find these companies in uh, machinery, as I said, or, or for example, construction companies offering special services and technologies in, um, for example, tunneling. Yeah? And you know which company I'm talking about. So um, it's more complicated. The problematic situation which uh, we will be talking later is not affecting the big ones only. I see. Um, I'd like to turn to recent developments. Last month, the EU imposed a set of limited sanctions related to Xinjiang. China's response was quite strong. As I, as I said earlier, it sanctioned parliamentarians from the EU and several member states. Uh, academics, research institutions like Merix, a Berlin think tank that the BDI has worked with on occasion. Uh, we've also seen Western companies like H&M, Nike, Adidas hit by consumer boycotts in China because they've expressed concern about what is happening in Xinjiang. Um, this obviously puts businesses in a quandary. Um, and is it fair to say that the BDI and its members are very concerned about the, the current situation, what we've seen in the past few weeks? Sure, of course we are concerned. Um, this is part of an escalation we've been observing for long already. Um, it's, it's not totally surprising uh, what, what is happening right now. Uh, we have seen some signs of these upcoming conflicts uh, for longer time already. And um, yes, uh, we are deeply concerned since our companies have to do this balancing act. Yeah? What you described, uh, if they speak out on certain issues which they definitely stand for, especially if you read the code of conducts and, and the vision and mission statements of, of our companies. Of course, there are some problems um, concerning the human rights situation and civil rights situation in parts of China uh, or China generally. And um, so they have to do this balancing act, uh, speaking out and and addressing the issues. On, on the other hand, uh, they, they want to stay in touch and cooperate with the Chinese partners. And um, this is, I wouldn't call it a catch-22 uh, situation. It's a balancing act and balancing is always difficult. And But it's possible and that's important. Um, it's it's um, it's not so serious that you cannot escape from this situation. We have good examples where huge German corporations or SMEs, family-owned business, are outspoken on the problems in China and still uh, are respected partners in China. And, and uh, would you 
I mean, you, you, you said that this, you see this as a sort of an escalation, and this is something that has been de developing for some time. Do you think what we've seen over the past few weeks, uh, are, are we entering new territory for Western businesses in China? We obviously this, uh, the, the, the geopolitical tensions have been rising for a number of years now. Um, uh, the Trump administration uh, pushed a, a sort of decoupling narrative. Um, uh, China is uh, promoting its new, more self-reliance, this dual circulation strategy. So, I mean, do you have the sense that from German industry's point of view that we're entering sort of new uncharted territory in this uh, relationship? Yeah, that's uh, true. We we have been entering this new territory, but it's in longer terms. It's not the case, or I would say it's not only that we have this uh, first time sanctions after 30 years after Tiananmen. Um, the whole development has started uh, some years ago. And for me, it's perhaps sounds a bit simple, but for me, um, there's a clear connection to the appearance of the paramount leader, um, Xi Jinping uh, himself, and he has started very bold steps and uh, strategic measures, and you have mentioned already some elements, uh, is the overall Chinese dream, which is based on um, internally made in China 2025 technology uh, catch-up, you have the Belt and Road Initiative. You have, um, of course, these um, developments in Xinjiang where you see the assimilation measures. Yeah, if uh, if I use this friendly wording, uh, too friendly perhaps, um, the ending of the one country, two systems uh, in Hong Kong, which is definitely the case. Hong Kong today is not. A different system any longer. It's perhaps a special economic zone. You have dual circulation recently. So you, you find all these steps uh, of a certain strategic approach um, um, represented by the paramount leader himself and his team. And um, you can clearly connect the, the, the change of view on China uh, to these recent developments over the last, uh, I would say, six, seven years. And that's the time where we entered new territory, not just recently. That is just another step we, we just see now. Um, and, and that's my take. Uh, and of course, we, we see all these things as a wake up call. And that's a change here for us, how we perceive the development in China, which is completely different to what I've, you have, you have mentioned my career, uh, which was always based on the assumption, um, doing business in China will lead to, um, a certain progress also in, uh, political circumstances. And if not, uh, in that case, that, that there will be a regime change or so, we, we are not asking for that. But we would like or we would see China developing into a trade and, and economic partner and perhaps even political partner, accepting a rule-based um, order, global order. And uh, what we have to recognize is that they are not. That's it. So, that's, a, that's a new territory. Right. So, so what you're saying is Wandel durch Handel, change through trade, is dead. 
if you define wandel durch Handel just as a means that automatically uh, trade uh, leads to uh, open society, pluralism and, and democracy, then it's wrong. Of course, there is change triggered by trade. Uh, we have to admit that sometimes it might be the case that we are uh, object of change yeah, and that China is changing us. So it works in a way, but not automatically in the good old meaning, Wandel durch Handel triggers uh, democracy and, uh, and, and open societies. I think that is naive or... It had worked in some cases historically, but here with China, we have a complete uh, new situation. And, and I, I wouldn't say we, we should stick to Handel uh, durch Wandel, uh, Wandel durch yeah. Handel any longer. So, so I like this idea of reverse Wandel durch Handel. So China changing uh, Europe or, or the West through, through trade uh, and other, other means. Or third countries, of course. Uh, it changes course. Africa or the, the Central Asia. Yeah? That's where, yeah. where uh, the competition uh, is going on as well, not only in our own markets. Yeah. Um, sticking on the the issue of, of trade and, and investment. I want to talk a little bit about the EU-China uh, investment agreement, the CHI, um, which, uh, yes, is needs to be ratified by the European Parliament later this year. Um, and I, I'm curious uh, of, of your view whether uh, whether this deal is 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 dead, uh, whether you think it can be revived following uh, China's uh, imposition of sanctions on a number of European lawmakers who obviously sit in the European Parliament that now needs to uh, approve this deal. Um, so f first, what, what do you think uh, is the future of this deal? And if it doesn't get approved, how damaging would that be for German uh, industry? Yeah, it's quite complicated with CAI. Um, of course, there has been a long-term negotiation period. And after seven years, then there was a rush all of a sudden, although everybody has told us from the European negotiating side, negotiating side that uh, we would prefer to have some substance before speed. In the end, it was only speed. And... Um, so uh, our um, applause was relatively limited uh, since we see really some deficits in the substance. But we would still think it's uh, the glass is, is half full. Um, it's a piece, a smaller piece uh, uh, on our way to, to have a rule-based um, cooperation between China and us. And um, we are not enthusiastic, but we think it's a good thing to have such an agreement, although it's not even an uh, investment protection uh, agreement. It's, it's, of course, not a trade agreement. Um, it's just an investment um, agreement. So um, we welcome it. Um, of course, we have a very difficult situation right now, but what I hear from my uh, Brussels partners um, and the people I talked to um, there and, and also in other European countries, that um, it's not dead yet. There is a certain uh, time frame, which is quite long, 
Um, the ratification is anyway not planned for this year. Um, so there is a chance for de-escalation and de-escalation perhaps make it possible um, to, to find a solution to make CIA happen in the end. Um, sounds a bit unrealistic these days where everyone is really bold in his statements and, and, but that's, a, that's, yeah, just a university of, of these weeks. Let's see what happens at the end of this year. And if there are signs from China as well, perhaps after they have celebrated their 100 year uh, anniversary of the Communist Party and relax a little bit more also um, in the light of the upcoming Olympic Games um, being a little bit more de-escalating. Let's see what happens. Of course, uh, the other way uh, is also possible that there is even more pressure on it. And then your question was, how damaging would it be? Um, actually, not that much because the CAI does not bring, it's, it's not a game changer anyway for us. There are some good progresses. Uh, we welcome it, but if we wouldn't have CAI, that would not mean that we have uh, to stop our engagement or could not even invest more in China. That's still feasible. Well, we certainly, European uh, governments seem to be in de-escalation mode. Uh, Angela Merkel spoke with Xi Jinping uh, yesterday um, and the German readout from that call didn't, didn't mention the sanctions. Germany and China are pressing ahead with their plans for government consultations at the end of this month. Um, so it, it looks like Europe is trying to de-escalate. Um, I mentioned earlier that the BDI had come out with this policy paper two years ago that received quite a bit of attention. Um, it was called Partner and Systemic Competitor, How Do We Deal with China's State-Controlled Economy? And that paper made a number of suggestions. It called for the EU to invest more at home in R&D, education, infrastructure, and new technologies. And it also made clear that no member state alone could cope with the political and economic challenges presented by China. It called for a more united European approach, including, and I'm quoting here, the abandonment of isolated national courses of action. Um, I want to take these one by one. Uh, first, uh, Wolfgang, do you think Germany and the EU are doing enough to invest at home in order to better compete with China? Uh, of course, it's never enough. Um, but of course, we, we see some signs of, of uh, positive developments. Um, we, we have uh, really bold plans in the EU. And the Green Deal plan is, uh, of course, the most uh, eminent one um, to, to go into this direction you just described. Um, of course, we are just at the beginning of a long distance uh, development here. And um, of course, we are not yet at a stage where we could say this is enough. We are far away from that, but we are heading in the right direction. I'm, I'm also optimistic um, at this point. Um, so some of these proposals uh, we have uh, published 
um, some years ago um, are ongoing and and they are taken up and um, uh, you 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 are never satisfied with uh, the current status, but um, that's okay. And um, as well, that's it's also true for the more unified approach in Europe. Uh, what we see is that um, it's possible to to come up with um, decisions uh, backed by twenty seven member states. Um, these might be smaller uh, decisions, but um, there's a whole collection of it. Um, even in very complicated questions, uh, as you just mentioned, the, the recent sanctions. That was um, one of these examples where it's possible to speak with one voice. Um, we also see a certain development that the division, which is um, which was going ongoing with a 70 plus one or 16 plus one um, format uh, we, we have seen in recent years. It's it's not that successful. Um, it's, I wouldn't say it's coming to an end already, but uh, it's definitely losing momentum, which we uh, think it's a good um, development. Um, Actually, we don't like it that much um, that China is trying to to divide European uh, nations from the broader European family, not only European Union. So um, there is um, so there are some reasons to to be optimistic. Um, yeah, but if your question is if it's enough, no. Germany and China, as I mentioned before, due to hold government consultations later this month, that format was singled out in the BDI paper of uh, 2019. And it was suggested that this needed to be embedded in a more European approach. Um, does that mean, I mean, how does the BDI view German government consultations? It, would you rather have uh, you know, you mentioned that you were critical of 17 plus one. Uh, is there an argument that um, uh, individual EU member states should not be talking to China, that they should be talking uh, as, a, as, as a group with China? Not that that's easy with 27 countries, but, um, uh, but I'm curious how you view that because the BDI paper did talk about this uh, Germany and China, the, the government consultations and the need to sort of embed this in a more European approach. Yeah, in the long run, uh, it would be best if there is one single European approach. Um, uh, for the time being, I think it's a good contribution if some of the European uh, Union member states have their own channels supporting the European view, of course. It would be um, wouldn't be helpful if there is a certain mismatch of positions um, that has to be avoided. As long as we uh, have the same uh, positions here, same arguments, then of course it's uh, reinforcing the European uh, position and and uh, a good thing. Um, that would be my expectation. Wolfgang, I want to talk about the upcoming German election, uh, which is about six months away. Uh, the, the one certainty, I think, is that Angela Merkel will not be uh, leading the next German government. But there is a lot of uncertainty about who will 
replace her and what sort of coalition that person uh, is going to be leading. Now, Merkel has stood for a certain kind of China policy, one of engagement and dialogue, uh, refusal to take sides in the U.S.-China competition. Uh, I'm curious whether you think we can expect changes in Berlin's approach to China uh, once she leaves, and if there's anything that you'd like to see a new government do differently with regard to China. Um, yeah, perhaps uh, it's good to, to see the American example. Uh, you have a complete different um, uh, president and, and style, uh, but the, the basic uh, problems are still the same and some of the approaches and uh, strategic measures are still the same. And then a similar situation might occur here in Germany. Um, yes, there will be a new style, but I won't expect a new government not to be interested in engagement and dialogue, as you just described uh, Mrs. Merkel uh, approach. But there will be definitely a new style. And that's um, to be expected uh, because there are many interesting people and very experienced people from all parties who are vocal and, and advocating um, a new style with less Hasenfüßigkeit, which is a strange German word, uh, not easy to translate. It's um, less cowardish. Yeah? Um, and it's uh, introduced by uh, the Green Party leader, uh, Mrs. Göring Eckert. And she said, well, uh, of course, we want to engage uh, with China and we want to uh, create a progressive and a positive dialogue, but without being cowardish. And, uh, and, and, um, that is a clear, um, yeah, you can clearly see this approach is, um, also popular among some conservative, uh, politicians, some social democrats, uh, some liberals. Um, so whatever the coalition might be, the general, uh, approach, um, coping with China might be not too um, different from what we have seen before, but the style uh, will be, uh, yeah, different. Interesting. I, I saw that the BDI came out, uh, I think it was yesterday, with a, a very detailed response to the Greens Party uh, program. And uh, I had a look through that. What was interesting, I thought, was that on China, uh, the BDI seems to agree uh, with many of the Greens Party's proposals in terms of perhaps uh, working uh, more aggressively within Europe to, to develop a common European approach. Um, and, and to push back uh, in certain areas. Um, now, I think the BDI, uh, the BDI paper that came out was critical of the Greens in other areas, but I thought that was interesting that, um, that the BDI and the Greens are, are pretty much on the same level on China. Yeah, I would agree. Um, and uh, we recently had a meeting with one uh, VIP of the Green Party here internally, and um, he explicitly mentioned um, the China paper. Um, and you are right that um, we, we have a certain, um, we, we share some uh, of our uh, 
views on China. And um, yeah, let's see. But uh, again, that's not only true for the Green Party. Um, you find examples like Mr. Röttgen, for example, um, as well, um, even in the Conservative Party. So um, it's not exclusive a Green element here. Interesting. I have a final question for you, Wolfgang. Uh, I want to look five years ahead and, and ask you what you see as the best case scenario for German business in China and the worst case scenario. And your question goes to the uh, industry perspective, uh, I take That's right. That's right. Uh, which is perhaps somehow different uh, in some cases. But um, the best case is, of course, if we could avoid um, a continued decoupling. If, if, we, if we could uh, enter a phase where uh, engagement is still possible, And um, we, 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 we see more um, developments like CAI, even better agreements and, and can avoid this decoupling, uh, which is not an American concept only. Uh, China is uh, playing its role in decoupling um, as well. Um, and, and this is definitely the biggest threat. So if we could avoid a total decoupling, which uh, at a certain stage would deserve its name decoupling, um, then this is the best scenario. And of course, the answer for the worst is um, if, if we reach this point of decoupling, then this will be uh, the worst case scenario, um, very costly and um, then we would not uh, manage the balancing act I've described before. Then we would stop being active in one of the biggest and most attractive markets uh, on the globe. And uh, this would be also very counterproductive when it comes to the biggest challenge of climate change. We have to cooperate with China. And decoupling would also mean that we decouple in climate policy, perhaps. And that would be a disaster. Um, so it, it depends on the state of decoupling. Um, if we can avoid it, we are happy. Do you believe that um, uh, one needs to uh, be cooperative with China in order to uh, get it to play ball uh, on, on, on climate change or... Uh, is the fight against climate change something that is in China's national interests and can be decoupled in a sense from uh, the rest of the relationship? I don't think it's going to be decoupled uh, in that way. Uh, since this is all about technology, it's about industrial cooperation, it's about new markets, and you cannot decouple climate change from, uh, let's say, normal Uh, industrial business. It's all interwoven. Um, and the Green Deal is the biggest industrial change progress going on in Europe. And so I don't see any chance to, to uh, distinguish here between various spheres where, where we can cooperate and, and where we cannot. Um, that's not possible. Um, engagement must be possible with China. Otherwise, we run into serious problems. 
And but um, this engagement uh, cannot uh, only uh, happen uh, along Chinese rules. Um, there must be a certain compromise, balancing. Um, and we are always coming back to this same point where you have to balance these two challenges. Wolfgang, we're going to end it there. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me today about China, which we all know is a very sensitive topic for German companies, uh, especially in the in the current geopolitical environment. Yeah, thank you for having me here on this um, podcast. And it's really always very interesting to talk to you and I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks also to everyone else who is listening in. Uh, don't miss my Watching China in Europe newsletter each month and stay tuned for more discussions about the Europe-China relationship on the German Marshall Fund's Watching China in Europe podcast in the months ahead. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast. The show is produced by Zachary Tarrant and me, Sydney Simon. This podcast is part of the Democracy Group.